Hello and welcome to Cabin Fever Fables. I'm Sarah Hunt from indie publisher Saraband and today we're riding high with a cycling special. It's bike month after all. We're missing our daily cycling to the office and having recently released two books covering epic journeys made on two wheels, we're gearing up for a third which will be coming soon. So it's great to know that cycling is the talk of the town just at the moment. To begin with, I'm joined by Alan Brown, who's the author of Overlander, which describes a coast-to-coast off-road route from Tainalt in Argyllshire to Findhorn on the Murray coast, going via Rannoch Moor and the Grampians. Stunning. Who wouldn't want to be out bikepacking right now in these glorious, long, early summer days? Alan's had various twists and turns in his career path, but cycling is definitely his passion. His book was shortlisted for the prestigious Saltire Society Literary Awards. He's one of the leading lights of The Bike Station, a bike recycling charity. They've recently launched a free Hero Bikes scheme for key workers. They do lots of great work to help get people on bikes without needing a big budget. So, Alan, please can you just take us straight to the lovely Glen and read to us. The track into the forest peels off the tarmac road, just 50 metres above the bridge. First, up what looks like someone's driveway, before cutting across the tarmac road that carries on up the right bank of the Feshi and plunging into Entriach Forest. As commercial plantations go, it's not unattractive, with mature, well-spaced trees. I'm moving quickly and quietly over the well-made forest roads, quick and quiet enough to startle a couple of small herds of deer, grazing quietly in the cool morning sun. The wood is a maze, and the forest roads on the map bear little, if any, relation to the ones on the ground, so I stow the map and start navigating by the lie of the land. I know I want to go downhill and to my right to find the track that goes through the deer fence and carries on to Loch Anilan and I just follow my nose and instincts, choosing the right turn and the lower road at the many T-junctions when I can. I really do not have a care in the world at this point, beyond the slight humming noise still coming from the tire of the trailer where it's fouling the frame. I'm not even all that concerned about the tire anymore, figuring that I might make it to the sea before the carcass ruptures. That this is publicly owned land and not a shooting estate is obvious not just by the presence of deer and trees together, but by the fact that I start to see pine marten scat, which in turn means that I might see a red squirrel. The ranges coincide almost perfectly because red squirrels are so light they can take refuge from pine martens at the tips of branches, unlike their fat American cousins who would otherwise push them out. Sometimes it pays to be small and nimble. The passage of somehow identical but perfectly distinct blocks of trees is hypnotic to the point where I've actually no idea how far I've come or how long I've been riding. I could be going in circles without sight of a summit to orient myself, but I don't mind, so glorious is the morning and the smell of the waking forest. Swinging around yet another curve in the road, something about a wee path dodging down through a thicket to my right just has the look of an onward track. 
ducking down and bobbing to avoid a face full of forest, I emerge into the wild ground outside the deer fence. The change in ambience is instant, from manicured to something more like a curated version of wildness. There are birch and juniper along with the conifers, and the path narrows down and develops a bit of character. The rain must have been as heavy during the night as it was in the evening, and may only just have stopped by the look of things. The track is deep cut, with narrow, rising and falling over the ridges, each dip a basin of peaty water. There is a ridiculous amount of pleasure in dropping the bike and trailer down into the flooded hollows, the water well over the cranks, and just ambling through in bottom gear like a tank going through trenches. This isn't mountain biking in any sporting sense. It's slow and deliberate and cautious, and I'm focused on the noise of the spokes as they beat at the still water like the blades of a paddle steamer, resonating in the tyres and wheels and right through the frame. This is Monday morning, the moment so many of us dread, and I promise myself never to forget the extraordinary feeling of privilege and not just being alive and well enough to do this, but of having literally nowhere to go today except across some of the most beautiful countryside on earth. And what's more, to have it all to myself. The challenge is perfectly calibrated. It's hard going to the point where it's entirely possible I'll fall into a pond or a juniper bush, but I reckon I can get there if I apply myself. These northern slopes of the Cairngorms are welcoming and comfortable in a way that suggests that someone has tried to make this a place that is everything the cold heart of the gake is not. Although I thought the last ford was back at the Outgarve gage yesterday, it seems there's at least one more, the Outcoir Fallish, a boisterous little river running strongly with last night's rain off the forested hillside. I don't bother with the beach shoes, since my trainers are pretty much saturated. I likely won't need them again until I hit the beach at Findhorn, and it's a thought that both heartens and saddens. I have become a traveller at just the point where the end of the journey becomes a real prospect. It's who I am now, and I'll miss this person when he's gone, or, more likely, until he's back again. Oh, how poignant that you so enjoyed the feeling of having nowhere to go but the most beautiful place on earth. And now, most of us have nowhere to go at all. But now that people are looking beyond lockdown, or at least trying to think that way, all the talk is about cycling. To promote health, but also to ease the problems of public transport and social distancing. So, Alan, if you could wave a magic wand, what would you like to see to improve our cycling conditions? Well, that one, it's extremely simple. Um, there's been a great deal of research done on this subject. There was a paper recently from the Scottish Parliament Information Centre, which methodically went through all the interventions that can get people to, to change the way they move around a city. And the one for which there is genuine underpinning evidence is high quality segregated cycling infrastructure um, and that if i could wave a magic wand uh, in my city edinburgh i would have a continuous network of high quality segregated cycle infrastructure 
reaching into every part of the city. Uh, and people might ask, well, what do you mean by high quality segregated infrastructure? And, and to my mind, the, the real test of what that is, it's not particularly a set of rules and regulations. It's a test. And the test is really whether um, an eight year old child can get themselves around town safely and whether a mother and her daughter are able to cycle safely wherever they want to go side by side. Why side by side? Because of course that's the human way to travel. If you travel with somebody and you find yourself in front or behind them, you lose touch with them. And you don't have that human connection and the ability just to converse uh, and hold hands even and do, do those things. You see, you see photos of that in Holland, people holding hands as they cycle along casually. They're not in fear of their lives, they're just going about their business. Uh, and that's my ambition for um, Edinburgh and indeed for, for any city. Well, that certainly sounds like a plan. I hope the powers that be are listening and planning on doing just that. I'm going to bring in Chris Dolan now. He was our guest a few weeks ago in episode three, way back early in the lockdown. Chris cycles around Glasgow on a daily basis, or at least two for used to for work and, and so on. But he's also done long distance cycling. Chris, what would be your magic wand wish? Hi, Sarah. I think that's straightforward, actually. I think it is cycle lanes, simple as that. And not the ludicrous ones that we have in the UK. These ones that last for half a block. There's one not far from me that literally lasts for about six yards over one uh, small block, uh, right in front of a bus stop. Uh, and there's nowhere at either side apart from that one little bit. Who knows why it's there? And also these ones that are too narrow and then far too close to the kerb, right over all the metalwork and all the potholes. So you're constantly coming out. Um, and, and ones that you can park on. Uh, so all that is just ludicrous. We just have never really committed to it in this country and we make cycling more dangerous, not less. Proper cycling lanes. Like they have in all parts of Europe and across the world. Um, when we came into Valencia at the end of our cycle across Spain, from about five miles out through Valencia, which is a big old industrial town, um, there was a, a, a way in a completely and utterly uh, cycled uh, lane of two-way all the way in for about five miles from the countryside, right through industrial areas, through the centre city, into that beautiful park in the Toria in the middle of the, the middle of the city. That's what we need, you know. And it, you know, there's no reason why that can't happen here, and there's just some signs that's beginning to happen. I've seen a few things happen in Glasgow and here of a few in Manchester, so fingers crossed. So, yep, cycle lanes. I can see a bit of a theme here, and that's one of my pet hates, people parking in the bike lanes. I think you're right, though, Chris. Things look like they are starting to change for cyclists. I'm going to introduce Helen Moat now. Again, Helen's already been a Cabin Fever Fables guest. And you may have heard her last week on Saturday Live. Helen, you're in Matlock. What's your magic wand wish? So if I could wave a magic wand, I would have more off-road cycling in the Peak District. Um, we're getting there. We have something that's called the White Peak Loop that should connect all the cities around the Peak District National Park and have a spoke that um, you know will bring people into the into the park. 
Um, we've got somewhere to go though. I live in Matlock. We've got the stretch from Matlock to Rosley, but there's a gap between Rosley and Bakewell. And it would be lovely if we could do what the Dutch do because they rolled out hundreds and thousands of kilometers of uh, cycle paths within a few years. Thanks, Helen. So there we have it again, more cycle paths, both in the cities and, you know, in other places too, using those old railway lines and rolling out more and more cycle paths like they have in the Netherlands, in Spain, in Denmark, in lots of other countries. We need to do it too. I want to come back to you now, Alan. I would think road safety aspects are very important for getting people out onto the road. You are very involved in, in a cycling charity. Can I ask if you have one particular tip to get people to encourage a beginner to start cycling? My one top tip for encouraging beginners to get on their bikes is undoubtedly to consider the way you think about cycling. So much of it commercially is presented as something that's um, not really valid unless you're doing something that's hard or difficult or dangerous. You know, you need to be crashing down a hill or cycling for days on end across the world. Um, and that's just not true. The thing to remember about cycling is that you can do it casually and it's perfectly valid. Nobody's going to come and judge you. So a great tip, for instance, is when people start thinking about going to work, we'll just do it on Fridays in summer, you know, you might have a casual dress day at work, which makes it a lot easier. Um, you can just casually cycle to work on a Friday morning and you don't have to cycle back on a Friday evening either. If you've got secure bike parking at your work, leave the bike there and in a week's time, cycle it back. So, so think about that. Think about what you're doing and why you're doing it. You're doing it for the simple pleasure. You're not doing it because anybody's judging you, you're not proving anything. Just do it for yourself. That's good advice. And how about you, Chris? What would you say either to a beginner or someone who hasn't been on a bike for ages? How would you encourage them? I think to get people cycling again, I th you, you, want to, you want to remind them. Hopefully, I think it would be a terrible thing for poor people whose parents didn't allow them to have a bike or even a trike when they were young, just to try and remember how wonderful being on a bike is. It's just the loveliest thing. I cycle a lot and I still have this incredibly childlike pleasure. You know, every time there's like a very easy bit, or even actually going up a hill, sometimes that little that thing about you know, pushing yourself up a hill, there's something really childlike about it. So I think it's to try and remember how pleasurable cycling can be. Just being in a bike, there's something magical about it. And if you, if you can get a cycling buddy, someone who will go with you, particularly in the early days if you're a bit... Uh, uh, unsure of yourself and having somebody who's maybe cycled a bit more than you um, then that'd be great somebody else who enjoys themselves and knows the routes and are happy to stay with you uh, that can help an, an awful lot and the other obvious thing is get 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 a bike fixed up and by that i really don't mean an expensive bike um, the old the old phrase it's not about the bike it isn't it's about getting something comfy that you want uh, it's the right shape and size for you and goes the kind of speed you want to go at um, so a decent bike, but more than anything else, just try and really enjoy. First couple of times you go out locally, someplace safe, just how pleasurable being on a bike is. 
more good advice and I'm really feeling like I'm dying to get on my bike listening to all this. Helen, what's your take on this question? Yeah, start small, uh, do a short cycle, build up, find an off-road uh, cycle path. The dismantled railways are brilliant because they're flat and easy. Um, and actually, if you really don't feel fit or you've got health issues, think about investing in an e-bike because uh, they are great and um, they're cheaper than they used to be. So a really good investment. And it's great to be outdoors rather than in a car. Well, I hope that's inspired lots of beginners or rusty riders, shall we call you people who haven't been on bikes for a long time. Alan, what would you say is the biggest benefit of cycling? The biggest benefit that cyclists have getting around by bike versus car or public transport? It's undoubtedly the connection with the world. It's the fact that when you travel by bike, you, there is no wall between you and the outside. So in a car, in a bus, you have uh, windows and walls to keep the wind and rain off you. And that's all very well, but of course that cuts you off. Whereas on a bike, you've got a full surround, 360 degree vision, and you can also, you can actually meet people. And I've done that, you know, I've, I've been cycling to work, been stopped at the lights and just had a casual chat with somebody. Um, and that's allowed. There's a camaraderie, there's a, an implicit, um, almost a collaboration between cyclists that you're allowed just to say hello. Nice bike. And it's not, you know, if you, if you tried that in the bus with somebody, the while they'd just be looking down at their phone and that wouldn't, um, couldn't possibly happen. So you get a connection and you get to see things. You have a different perspective as you move through the city. You just see stuff. You see architecture different and you see the geography of your city differently. And um, I, I wouldn't miss, I, you know, just I would really miss that if I couldn't cycle. Well, that's pretty persuasive. What would you say, Chris, about the main benefit or the, the biggest benefits for you about cycling? I think I, I, I cycle into, into work. Um, well, I used to cycle into work and hopefully I will start cycling back into work again. Right now I'm doing it all from home. Um, and actually, I've done all the calculations in my head. It, it depends, of course, where you work and what this, the, the roads are like. But I, I work in, I live in the West End of Glasgow and my uh, university is in the uh, centre of Glasgow. Um, I can get a train. There's a pretty good train service. Um, there's a bit of a walk to a subway, but I can get a subway. There's an excellent bus that goes literally door to door. But none of them, none of them are as fast as a bike. I, I mean, the, the bike takes 10, 15 minutes off all of them. Now, on a really good day on public transport, I can be there in about 50 minutes. Uh, on a bike, on a really good day, if the lights are with me, or if, if I, I don't tend to go through many lights, I tend to uh, go along the canal, I can be there in 35, less than that, 30 minutes. Um, so I think it's faster. It's obviously cheaper uh, in every way, not just you're saving your, your bus fare and your train fare on that particular day. Um, you know, it doesn't cost much to keep a bike. Uh, I'll tell you for quite a simple, ordinary bike. You know, give it an oil every now and then, give it a quick uh, wash down and get some of the muck out of it every now and then. Uh, make sure it doesn't get rusty, and that's just about drying it off on, on rainy days. So it's um, it's cheaper, it's faster. Uh, it's cheaper also because you don't have to uh, take out a gym uh, membership because you're getting all your exercise twice a day, going to work and back. Um, so I just think the amount of benefits from cycling anywhere, not necessarily to work, but anywhere, 
um, are, are amazing. You're getting fresh air. Um, um, you feel good about yourself. In fact, you feel so good about yourself. And when you get to work, you can be get to work. You can be really smug as a guy or the woman who cycled in that morning and will cycle back. Um, uh, yeah, I just think it's uh, it's, uh, it's 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 wonderful. It's got it's got everything going for it, uh, and you just feel healthier. What's not to like? How about you, Helen? What would you say in answer to that question about the benefits of cycling? Well, really, it's, um, you know, it's mental well-being and physical well-being. When you're on a bicycle, you get both because there's, you know, science, uh, medicine proved that when we are outdoors and we're exercising, we're, uh, you know, it really has huge uh, mental uh, health benefits. and. Um, yeah, I think obviously physically it's, it can only be good because you're exercising at whatever level. But I think the biggest thing for me is the fact that when I'm cycling, and this really struck me cycling to Istanbul, that if you're in a car, first of all, the speed, you can't really take much in. And if you're on a bicycle, it's a very slow pace. But it's that thing of using all your senses. You know, you go past a bakery, you can smell the, the you know, the freshly baked bread. You know, you can smell the, the wildflowers. You can hear the bird song. You can feel the grass slapping against your legs. So you're, you're really using all your senses in a way you cannot do on public transport, whether it's a car or a train or a bus. Yet more cycling benefits. Alan, tell me, is there any one thing that you would never set off without when you go out cycling? Um, back in the day, that would have been uh, a basic toolkit and puncture repair kit. And I kind of uh, got to the point where I decided that I wouldn't carry that unless I was going more than an hour from home, that I would just take the risk and accept that, uh, you know, if you go, if you walk into town, you don't take any walking tools with you. You just accept that if something goes wrong, you get the bus home. Uh, and I pretty much came to that conclusion with cycling. So I stopped taking tools. And the thing now that I will not go out without is the sense of the simple childish pleasure that's to be had from cycling. And that, that pleasure can be had even on Lothian Road in Edinburgh on a Friday night in February with horizontal rain you know, it, it could be, there could be an element where it's slightly grim, but nonetheless, you can always, always find that childish pleasure, just the joy that comes of propelling yourself around at a ridiculous pace for very little effort. Uh, and it just, it just if you keep hold of that, keep hold of that sense of, of unhinged joy in the thing, then I think you just, you just never get bored of it and the horizontal rain and all the rest of it. Well, it's just um, it's just a price to be paid for the for the joy. Oh, I'm not quite so sure on that February horizontal rain thing, but well, we'll take your word for it. How about you, Chris? What would you not set off without? Kit, um, I think the only kit you absolutely need is a spare tire, a spare uh, inner tube. Um, I mean, it's good to have a pump and a, and a multi-tool uh, and if you think you might have to change a tyre yourself. But the cycling community is a community. People will always help you. Even if you stop for a minute just to make a phone call or get a rest or take a drink, other cyclists always call. 
Uh, are you okay? Can I help? And if you've got a problem, cyclists are more than happy to come and help you change your tyre. And there'll nearly always be somebody who has better kit than you. So I do take things with me. Uh, it's just a small bag under my, my, my saddle with a few basic things and a pump. Um, but that's all you need. The other thing I should say is, and it might be of interest, I am part of the flat pedal revolution. Uh, and I think a, lot, a number of your uh, correspondents might disagree fundamentally with me here. But I don't do these strange clicking on, I, can't even, I don't even know what you call the blooming things, these shoes which cost a, a fortune. Um, and they always look dangerous to me. I've done quite a lot of research into this and, and the two guys I cycle a lot with when I go across Spain. And we've been up and down you know, major uh, mountains in the, in the Canaries and all over the place. Uh, and I just don't believe you need uh, all that fancy footwork. I have a flat pedal uh, with your... With your your foot fairly uh, snugly uh, into a, one of those little cage things or a little kind of uh, uh, rope, a little, little tire on it, does absolutely fine for the job. Um, so I don't. I think I think bike shops want to get you into buying all sorts of mad kit, and I don't think you need any of it. You need a comfy bike and go out and enjoy yourself. And how about you, Helen? What I never leave without is some change for coffee and cake because I can't do a bike ride without a cafe. I know they're closed at the moment, but when they're opened again, I definitely need some really nice cake and some coffee shop to keep me going. Hooray! We finally got to those other essentials of cycling. The coffee and cake. Brilliant. Thanks, Helen. And thanks, everyone, for great questions and answers. So, um... Just to bring this back to the regular format of this podcast, I'm going to come back to Alan now and ask you, Alan, what are you reading during lockdown? So my reading at the moment to pass the time is Stephen Rutt's The Seafarers, A Journey Amongst Birds. It's a book that was nominated for the Salter Awards in the same category as Overlander and went on to win that category jointly with Threads of Life. Um, So I had a first reading of it. Uh, and it is very, very good. And I'm just in the process of having a second reading and taking notes to see basically what I can steal from the guy's technique. He's got a very interesting use to the different voices you have to use in um, narrative nonfiction. You have to pick a voice or voices and then and then maintain and manipulate them throughout. And I'm just studying the way he's doing that at the moment. Nice one. And there's a, an author who's no more afraid of horizontal rain than you are, I think, Alan. Um, my next question, what will you be cooking this evening? That will be uh, a cuttlefish in risotto, bizarrely. That happened to be um, in the kitchen cupboard because I got given it for Christmas by my partner. I'm a big pasta and risotto fiend, always have been. Um, so that was just just in there, along with some artisanal pasta. I beat the beat the stockpilers on that front. Oh, that sounds exotic and delicious too. And who would be your ideal companions if you could choose absolutely anyone? I think that would have to be the guys that I worked with at the ENS in Paris in the mid nineties. It's just an extraordinary period of um, intellectual and physical freedom, just having that whole city uh, to explore and a laboratory to work in and basically do 
whatever I fancied doing. It was just that was my job was to do interesting, clever things. And I worked with a highly international team, French, Italian, Moroccan, American, um, Welsh, English. And I was the I was the Scotsman in that group. Um, and we just came together, found a way to communicate and be together, work together and socialise together. Um, so that's kind of a very happy time that I would go back to and I would release all those guys from their, from their confinement and in particular the, the Italian guy who I have not heard from for a little while um, who lives in the north of Italy and I suspect is extremely busy with other things tonight. Oh, I'm with you on that one. The idea of a huge international reunion, it feels like sheer fantasy at the moment. But we can hope, can't we? So the last of the corona questions is to ask you whether there's any, there's been any noteworthy corona behaviour, advice, tips, anything that you've you've been asked to do or, or whatever that's either annoying or has struck you in particular. What do you say to that one? The most idiotic and infuriating bit of official corona advice, um, I think, would have to be the document that I got to edit actually at my work, which was just written in this kind of... It was supposed to be for, for all staff members, for anybody, and it actually had a section 3.6.1. It was just written in absolute, um, self-important, pompous official language completely unnecessary so i uh, had the task of stripping half of the words out of that whilst remaining retaining all the all the meaning that it had as just exceptional times you you, can, you can't stick with the, the style of communication you had before this is important now and you really got to, to get hold of people and tell them what to do uh, the lack of clarity in official communications has been absolutely infuriating hasn't it and some of it dressed up in pompous language or just really condescending. Thank you very much for that lovely forest reading, Alan, and all your other insights and answers. Alan's book is called Overlander, and as well as its award recognition, it's been praised by Andy Whiteman and Leslie Riddock, who says that it cheerfully debunks much of the off-putting preciousness of the hardcore cycling fraternity. We certainly heard that today. Thanks as well to Helen Mote, the author of A Time of Birds, released just at the beginning of lockdown and describing a three-month-long cycling trip all the way across Europe. You can read more about it in her feature in The Guardian or, of course, buy the book. And thanks to Chris Dolan. Chris's new book will be out in the autumn. It's called Everything Passes, Everything Remains. And it also features a lot of cycling, this time mostly in Spain. We're almost up to 5 million COVID-19 cases now globally. But in quite a few countries, the first wave at least is behind us. And there's a lot of talk not only of how to reopen our schools, workplaces and town centres, but also how we might be changed by the experiences of lockdown, loss and this enforced change of perspective. There are so many reasons from health to logistical issues to embrace more cycling and to start building safer cycling infrastructure. 
But for me, the best thing about today's cycling special on this podcast has been hearing about the benefits and sheer joys of getting on a bike. Freedom on two wheels, engaging the senses, feeling fitter, noticing more about our surroundings, coasting down hills, and yes, coffee and cake. Thanks for joining us. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at Sarah Books.